Some years ago, when we were living in California, as the fires were raging back at that time, a group of us were talking about what would you do if you had to evacuate your home? What would you take? If you had five minutes to get out of your home, what are the most valuable things that you would take with you? What would you do? You know, from time to time, God's people, even God's people, face the loss of items through calamity, such as fire, or sometimes from burglaries. Hopefully none of you have experienced that, but chances are you have. Years ago, when I was a boy and we were living in Atlanta, Georgia, at the time our home was burglarized. We came home after a Sabbath service or a Holy Day service, I I forget which, uh, but the lights were on in our house, the... uh, There was a kitchen window that had been broken. The the curtain was blowing back and forth in the wind. Our dog was acting funny, had been drugged or maced. Uh, The intruder had broken the window and uh, and jumped through the window over the kitchen sink. And to add insult to injury, had tracked mud all over the floor. Uh, Perhaps even, you know, symbolically the whole feeling of having your, uh, your personal property, your home violated. Uh, it, was, it was not a pleasant experience. My dad, being an avid hunter, had several guns stolen and a few other items. It's funny, looking at the events from the perspective of a four- or five-year-old, which I was at the time, I remember distinctly when we went into the house, I went straight to my room to see, and I was so relieved that the intruder had not taken my BB gun. I was, I was really grateful, and, and I actually thank God for that, that he hadn't. It's all in the perspective, isn't it? Now, thankfully, most of us haven't experienced that, the loss of our possessions and goods. But you know, when we look into the future in Bible prophecy, we find a time coming not that far away when we as members of the church of God In a time when the tribulation is coming, when our society is descending into collapse and chaos, when even members of the church of God may have to be prepared to walk away from everything we have. Of course, I'm talking about going to the place of safety. Now, we don't talk a whole lot about the place of safety. It's not the focus of every sermon. It's not something that we speak on every time uh, we have a sermon or sermonette. Yet from time to time we should, because it is in the Bible, it is scriptural, and it's a comfort to us as we look into the future, those of us who find ourselves living in this end time. Today in the sermon, let's talk about the place of safety. And what I'd like to focus on is the faith that's going to be required for the place of safety. If you want a title, mine is Faith and the Place of Safety. We know the basic scenario of events that will happen in the future. More and more elements are lining up all the time. Uh, The foundation is being set for the beast power to emerge in Europe and our nation and other Israelite nations to be enslaved. That's what the Bible says. And it's even more plausible after we see the difficulties that our economic system and financial system is having and how our national power and prestige is falling. 
has changed dramatically even in the last year and a half or so. We see Bible prophecy. We know at some point modern Israel will enter the time of Jacob's trouble. We find over in Jeremiah chapter 30. Jeremiah chapter 30. This, uh, this, this prophecy talking about end time Israel, knowing that that is who we are, the modern uh, nations of, of the United States, of Canada, of Great Britain, South Africa, Australia, New Zealand, modern Israel, <clears throat> modern Joseph, and the other tribes. We see in Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse 4, he says, now these, verse, uh, verse 4, now these are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. For thus says the Lord, we have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask now and see whether a man is ever in light labor with child. So why do I see every man with his hands on his loins like a woman in labor, and all faces turn pale? Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is the time of Jacob's trouble but he shall be saved out of it. It's talking about a worst time of trouble in all of human history. It's talking about a very difficult time for our generation when we understand when this is coming and how it's going to happen in the end time. But we also understand that God has given tremendous comfort for giving his people an opportunity to be spared from that. And we're very grateful for that. It's a tremendous blessing. And you know, we will appreciate it more and more as these events draw near. Let's go to Luke, where Christ foretold of these events. Luke chapter 21 and verse 20. Luke chapter 21 and uh, in verse 20. We read, these are the words of Christ. Himself, Jesus Christ, he says, But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart, and let not those who are in the country enter her. For these are the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant, and to those who are nursing babies in those days. For there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. Jesus Christ's own words, where he was talking about a time of trouble. We understand that there is a, there was a historical a partial fulfillment of this in the first century when brethren in the church of God had to flee from Jerusalem. Adam Clark tells the story in his commentary, talking about uh, the flight from Jerusalem of God's people. He said, This council of fleeing to the mountains that we read of was remembered and wisely followed by the Christians afterwards. Eusebius and Epiphanius say that at this juncture, after Cestius Gallus had raised the siege, and Vespasian was approaching with his army. All who believed in Christ left Jerusalem and fled to Pella and other places beyond the river Jordan, and so they all marvelously escaped the general shipwreck of their country. Not one of them perished. This was in the first century. The Romans, as you know the story, surrounded Jerusalem, then unexpectedly pulled back, and God's people, our brethren, 
who remembered these words of Christ, acted on it, and got out without delay. They left their homes. They relocated in Pella, east of the Jordan. But it took faith, it took trust, to heed the warning that Christ had given them. Brethren, the question is, in our time, will we have the faith to act on what Christ inspires us to have to do at some day? Are we walking in faith now? There's an end-time fulfillment. We read that in uh, Matthew, Matthew chapter 24 and verse 13. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 13. We read, But he who endures to the end, again, this is Christ speaking, shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now we know this is in time because he's talking about the abomination of desolation being set up. And he was talking and speaking after the time of Antiochus Epiphanes. It wasn't referring to him. It wasn't referring to the destruction of, Ju of Jerusalem by the Roman armies in 70 AD. This is yet a future time. He said, Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. Apparently this is something yet in the future. The indications of God's people having to flee to a place of safety in the end time. Now, the point is, you know, we can read this, we agree with it, we say, yes, okay, I understand. But is it really real to us, brethren? You know, everything seems so permanent around us, even in the economy, even as the turmoil that we see financially today, uh, even with some of us being out of work, some of us having our hours cut back or contracts cut back or, or lost jobs, that's hard, and it's a trial, and, and, and we understand that many are facing that today. But you know, we all still have food on our table. Life still is going on as it has for most of us. Our lives still seem fairly normal. We get up in the morning, we you know feed the dog, we take out the trash, we take care of our normal day-to-day a business, our way of life, it seems so permanent. And yet things happening behind the scenes right now are leading up to a very dangerous time. Are we thinking this through? Do we really believe this will happen? What Christ himself said, that times will get so bad that he will have to miraculously protect his people. Now this is not to, to be fearful of it, he didn't tell his disciples uh, the, the discourse there uh, when he talked about uh, what was going to happen. 
uh, to, to, to make them afraid, he told them so they could be encouraged. Let's go to a passage that shows the whole span of history of the Christian church. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 1. It goes back to uh, the first century, of course, to our, our present day and even into the future. Revelation uh, chapter 12 and verse 1. John writes, Now a great sign appeared in heaven, verse 1, Revelation 12, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Of course, the woman is symbolizing the church, first the Old Testament uh, congregation, and then the New Testament, verse 2. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. Referring to Jesus Christ, verse 3, And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. We know that Satan tried to destroy Christ even as a child, but God protected him. Verse 5, She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. And, of course, Christ sits at the right hand of God today, but after he left the church, after he, he, he left the earth, rather, when he was resurrected, the church carried on, didn't it? His disciples carried on. But you notice their life was not always pleasant or peaceful. Verse 6, it says, Then the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. Of course, this is the time when the church fled into the mountainous regions of Europe during the Middle Ages to escape persecution, really, for many centuries. In Mr. John O'Gwyn's booklet, God's Church Through the Ages, he describes this time. He said, In the aftermath of the Council of Nicaea, Emperor Constantine and his successors sought to stamp out all non-conforming brands of Christianity. Groups that refused to conform to the teachings and Practices of the established church, which now called itself the Catholic or Universal Church of God, were viewed not merely as heretics, but as subversive enemies of the Roman state. The true church, symbolized by a woman in Revelation 12, was forced to flee into the wilderness for 1260 days. In Bible prophecy, a day often represents a year. Thus, the true church would have to remain in hiding for 1,260 years following the Nicene Council. Historically, that is what happened. Though these were truly dark ages, there was a light that continued to burn. Its flame sometimes flickered, but it was never extinguished. So, the brethren had to be protected in the first century. The brethren also had to be protected in the Middle Ages. Then he explains uh, that Revelation 12 also looks into the future. In the booklet, Revelation, the Mystery Unveiled, he says, verses 7 through 12 of Revelation 12 are referring to a yet future attempt of Satan to seize power in heaven just before the final great tribulation. After this future and final casting down of Satan, God will take the woman, his true church, into a special place in the wilderness to be nourished and protected during this final three-and-a-half-year period. We can read that part of it uh, back in Revelation 12 ourselves. Let's start in verse 7. 
He writes, And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called Satan the devil, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Verse 13. Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place, where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. This, of course, is referring to three and a half years. Verse 15, So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So what do we see? Three general time periods, the first century, the Middle Ages, and the end times. When God says he will have to protect his people and they will have to flee from persecution. It's not just us that are looking at this and facing this in our future. Others have had to before. Actually, there are even more examples in Scripture of of our people who have had to flee from from danger. Let's look back in the uh, Old Testament in the book of Genesis. We find the story of Lot. Genesis chapter 19. Genesis chapter 19. Remember the story when when Jesus Christ uh, was going to destroy Sodom and he sent the angels into Sodom? Verse 1, Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. Skipping through verse 12, Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, whomever you have in the city? Take them out of this place, for we will destroy this place, because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Verse 15, when the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you are consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, you notice that Lot was was hesitating. He didn't really want to have to make this decision. But while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him. You know, and you see just how much mercy that God shows in these examples of how He cares about His people, how He's comforting His people. And even when Lot was wavering and was hesitating, out of mercy, God, and the angels rather, grabbed His hand and the hand of His wife and His daughters. And they brought Him out and set Him outside the city. So it came to pass when they had brought them outside that He said, Escape for your life! Run for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. Not fun stuff to think about. But this was their life. This was what happened as their society 
collapsed around them, Sodom, as Sodom was destroyed. This is the record and what we read. Verse 24. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. Verse 26, notice this. But his wife looked back. His wife looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Now, we often talk about Lot and his wife and the lesson of his wife looking back and what we can learn from that, what we, how we can be warned about what she did. Because Lot escaped, his daughters escaped, but his wife looked back. What was she doing? What did she do wrong? What did she lack? Well, we could look at it a number of different ways, but I, I think we can all agree that she lacked faith. She lacked faith. There was something missing in her, in here, as she was fleeing, as she was responding to the, the comfort and protection that God was offering her. And so it wasn't enough to know the way. It wasn't enough to, to be given the promise of protection and even to be prodded along that way. There was another element necessary, which she didn't have. It was faith. She lacked it. Brethren, of course, the question is, in the coming times of trouble ahead, will we have faith? Will we have faith to make the right decisions? Are we walking in faith today? Are we walking in faith and acting in faith right now, today, every day? How much are we walking in faith? Is that something that's a part of our daily life? Is that something in, in, in how we live? Are we preparing to have faith tomorrow and the next month and the next year by having faith and walking in faith and being in a, in a state of, of, of being close to God today? Let's look at another generation that had to flee a sinful and wicked society. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7. It's interesting when you really start looking at all the examples. There, there are all kinds of generations and, and times have God's people had to exercise faith when they were living in a society that was crumbling around them. The story of Noah is another case in point. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. We read, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world, became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. It's interesting. By faith, Noah moved with godly fear. He needed faith. Faith is something that's required in times like this. And he was protected. Just how important is faith? And how important will it be for us in our future? We can see the writing on the wall. We can see what's going to happen to our, our nations. We can see the direction things are going. Now, some will say, what kind of faith is required to save your own skin? You know, over the years, some have discounted the, 
what the Bible says about a place of safety or protection, saying it's selfish and it's self-centered, uh, we shouldn't be thinking about our own safety. We should be thinking about spiritual things. Well, that's true to a point. You know, saving ourselves uh, should not be our ultimate goal. Uh, we should be willing to lay down our lives uh, for each other, for, for Jesus Christ, for what we believe. Christ said, if we seek to save our own life, we'll lose it. But you know, if we examine his words and we look at what he was really meaning in some of these statements, um, we understand it's not wrong to want to be saved physically and have physical protection and, and when God is offering it. Years ago, I remember one of the, our ministers saying, if you take care of your character, God will take care of your skin. If you take care of your character, God will take care of your skin. And that really is, is borne out by Christ's words. Let's turn over to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, we find something interesting in what he said. Uh, actually uh, referring to these examples that we were just uh, looking at. Luke chapter 17 and verse 26. He says, talking about the future, And as it was day in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. What did Christ say? He said, when you look back at the time of Noah, you can learn about what's going to happen to your time. Those of you who live in the last generation... He says, they ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. In other words, life was going on as normal. Everything seemed so permanent. They were eating, drinking, working, buying houses, selling houses, marrying, getting married, giving in marriage. In other words, normal life was going on. And they couldn't believe it would change. They could not comprehend that society could, could actually collapse even though God had warned them. The flood came and destroyed them all. Verse 28, Likewise as it was also in the days of Lot. They ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. You know, nothing wrong with all of these things. Life was going on normally. That's the whole point. Verse 29, but on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Now notice this, verse 30. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. A direct correlation to our future. If we believe that, that His coming is coming soon. This is a warning for us today. In that day, verse 31, he says, He who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take them away. In other words, there's time when the time has run out. And there's no more time to prepare. And likewise, the one who's in the field, let him not turn back. Verse 32, remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. Verse 33, now notice, interesting. Whosoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. Now, brethren, let's think this through. Was Christ saying it's wrong to want to be physically protected in the coming great tribulation, the worst time of trouble that mankind has ever known? 
Was he saying it's wrong to want protection? When the whole context of the discussion was how to be physically protected by learning the lesson from Noah, by learning the lesson from from Lot. It seems to me that he was meaning, don't cling to your things. Don't cling to your things. I guess we could have named the sermon, called the sermon that. Don't cling to your things. Don't do what Lot's wife did. Don't be, be, be seeking to save your things, your possessions, your, your past life. Don't look back to those things. Or you may lose your life. Brethren, can we, could we, if required, be willing to give up our possessions? Can we walk away? Can we give up our life in, in that sense, in, in terms of our way, our stubbornness, our selfishness, our opinions? Um, that seems to be the warning, that we have to be willing to give up, give up our life and, and, and seek being totally committed to His life. And if we do that, then He's going to protect us physically. You know, 2 Peter 2, verse 9 says, The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. Peter was even using the examples of Noah and Lot as well. How encouraging is that? God knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. You know, we, we know that God created the, the mountains and the streams and the oceans and the whole planet and the sun and the solar system, and the galaxy, and the whole universe. But isn't it true sometimes when we are in trials, we sometimes think, how am I going to get out of this? How am I ever going to extricate myself out of this problem or that trial? You know, reading this is encouraging. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly, especially in a in a coming time when society is going to collapse around us. We're going to live through part of that, just like the Israelites did in Egypt. But God knows where we are. He's watching us. He's working with us. And He knows how to deliver us. That's what Peter is encouraging us to think through. So, why again will it take pl- faith to... Understand the place of safety and to be protected in the place of safety. Well, in the time remaining, let's, let's examine several issues that may be a test of our faith in coming, in coming years. You may be able to think of more, but these are several that I think uh, are significant. Number one, the first issue that may be a test of faith is in terms of the place of safety is when to go. When to go, when to get out. You know, if you're in a burning building and there's an escape route, it doesn't take any faith to run to the door, does it? Or run out the door. Why would escaping require faith? Well, what if you don't realize the building is burning? You know, maybe Lot's wife was saying that to herself. I know society is bad. I know things are bad. But it's not really that bad yet. There are a lot of redeeming values in society. Maybe her judgment was warped 
by just living in that society and didn't really see it for what it was. You know, in, in the years leading up to uh, World War II, in the time when Nazi Germany was taking more and more control, there were some who saw the writing on the wall and got out of Nazi Germany. There were others who didn't, who didn't know the house was on fire. It took faith. It took understanding and, and, and seeing things that others perhaps could not see. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 3 says, A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. Interesting proverb. A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself. There are two kinds of people, the prudent and the foolish. The prudent are, are, are looking ahead are reading the signs, are looking at the writing on the wall, are not just seeing, looking at the obvious, but are using judgment and discernment, and they see what others can't see. That's really faith. You know, one of our ministers in the Philippines, Mr. Gideon Benitez and his family, and others living in uh, Mindanao, are not confused about how evil and wicked and dangerous our society is, and, and how much we need God's protection. A couple of years ago, they were in their house, there in, in, in part of Mindanao, with rumors of, of uh, Islamic rebels overrunning the city, not knowing if the next instant their house would be bombed or shelled or shredded with bullets. They were that close. A very, very dangerous situation. Others in the Philippines have faced similar situations just a few years ago. One of our brethren, uh, one time at least, was out in his field and was caught in a crossfire. Different factions, government uh, troops and rebel groups were, were shooting at each other. He was in his field and he had to, had to hide until the shooting was over. Others have, have uh, received threats and, uh, and, and other, other situations like that. There is no convincing them that this world needs to change, that this is a dangerous world, that we need to come out of this world, that Christ needs to set His government up in this world. But you know, brethren, when, when we don't face some of those things, maybe we can get coaxed into believing that, well, it's not that bad. Maybe the world is pretty okay, but maybe we just don't have our eyes open if that's the, how we view it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 1, we read of something interesting that the Apostle Paul wrote. He said, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. What an incredible prophecy from the Apostle Paul. That even though the general direction is going down, 
There might even be a, a, a time of relative peace, of, of, of relative uh, cooperation on, on the international level, perhaps even in our country. And then certain destruction, sudden destructions at the door. The point is, he said, God's people don't have to be the simple. They don't have to be the foolish that don't understand. They can be the prudent if they are looking with discernment and understanding and faith, with the eyes of faith. You know, Satan in particular wants our young people to be distracted when hard times come ahead. Because our young people are the future, the next generation. If Christ returns within a relatively short time, our young people will be the ones who live right on over into the millennium. And if they're not yet converted by Christ's return, they, they may live right through the place of safety and walk right into uh, being physical leaders, human leaders in the millennium and examples in, the, in a new society. They can be the, the leading generation of people who can bridge the gap between the old world and the new world. You know, Tom Brokaw, some years ago, talked about the greatest generation being the the World War II generation, and certainly as we honor them and respect them for the sacrifices they made, we have a tremendous amount of honor and respect for them. But you know, there might be an even greater generation ahead. Maybe it's the generation of young people who have faith now, who have vision now, who have the prudence now to see the world for what it is, to reject Satan, to be alert and awake, and to be protected in the place of safety during the tribulation. And then to be examples and leaders in tomorrow's world. Wouldn't you say that's a pretty important generation? Young people, don't be fooled by Satan's tactics. He wants you to get so bewildered, so distracted, so busy and, and tainted by all that the world has to offer that you get, off, you get your eyes off of, of really understanding what world events are happening and where they're going and what the Bible says about your future and watching the signs of the times. There's a huge opportunity awaiting you and, and destiny awaiting you, but you have to have faith. Luke chapter 21 and verse 28. Luke chapter 21 and verse 28. This admonition is for all of us, but for you young people too. Christ said again, Now when these things begin to happen the signs that are, are signaling uh, his return as these events uh, take place. Look up, lift up your heads, because your redemption draws near. Then he spoke to them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they are already budding, you see and know for yourselves that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation... This generation that sees these things happening, the generation that, that, that is acknowledging and, and understands that these, these steps are taking place, the Berlin Wall is down, the, 
the uh, Germany is now united. Russia is no longer has an iron grip over Eastern Europe. These things are taking place. The EU is coming together in a way that could not be envisioned by many just a few years ago. These are steps that we are to look for. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But notice, take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come on you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. So, brethren, if we have faith, we'll be able to see that God's timing is perfect and we'll be ready. And God willing, we'll be protected. That's what He wants. That's what He says. And as we grow in faith, it helps us to accurately see the world and accurately understand how we need to turn from the world now and its influences. How well do we see the world? Are we turning from it and rejecting it? So what's another issue that will test our faith? Well, not just when to go, but where to go. That may be a test of our faith as well. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us explicitly where the place of safety will be. It just says there will be one. <clears throat> Think about it. That's a huge article of faith. To accept the timing and the place to be protected when we really aren't told beforehand. Now, the Bible does hint to a possible place where this will take place, and we'll talk about that briefly. Um, as has been explained to us in the church before, the, the Bible doesn't explicitly tell us where the place of safety will be, but if the Bible references reveal it at all, it is most likely in the southern Jordan area of Petra. Let's look at a couple of scriptures that uh, seem to uh, be pointing to it. Daniel chapter 11 and verse 40. Daniel chapter 11 and verse 40. This is describing things that are happening just uh, as end-time events come to pass, just prior to Christ's return. Daniel 11, verse 40. At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind, with chariots, horsemen, and with many ships. And he shall enter the countries, overwhelm them, and pass through. And he shall enter the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown. But these shall escape from his hand, Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. So it's interesting the general region of Edom and Moab will be protected from the beast power. That's southern Jordan. Now, why are those areas protected? Could it be that God's people are there? That's a possibility. Combine that with something we read in Isaiah. Going back to Isaiah chapter 16. Isaiah chapter 16. Uh, we, again, we, we find another uh, possible reference to that. Verse 1, Send the lamb to the ruler of the land from Selah to the wilderness. Selah is another word for another name for Petra. 
Verse 3, take counsel, execute judgment, make your shadow like the night in the middle of the day. Hide the outcasts, do not betray him who escapes. Let my outcasts dwell with you, O Moab. Be a shelter to them from the face of the spoiler. Interesting, a prophecy of God's outcasts dwelling in the area of Moab. Again, the same general area that Daniel uh, talked about. Another reference, Isaiah chapter 33. Isaiah chapter 33 and verse uh, 14. He says, The sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness has seized the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? Verse 15, He who walks righteously and speaks uprightly, he who despises the gain of oppressions, who gestures with his hands, refusing bribes, who stops his ears from hearing of bloodshed, shuts his eyes from seeing evil, he will dwell on high. His place of defense will be the fortress of rocks. Bread will be given him, his water will be sure. He'll dwell in the fortress of rocks. Again, Petra just means the rock, a mountainous, barren region the ancient capital of Edom. Again, the Bible doesn't doesn't positively say the place of safety will be there, but it's the most likely place if the Bible reveals it at all. But the point is, we don't really know where it will be. And of course, that takes faith. That takes faith. You know, the Israelites had a similar experience in, in the Exodus. They knew where their eventual destination was, the promised land, But they didn't know exactly how they would get there. Notice in Exodus chapter 14. Exodus 14, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, verse 2, Speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before Pi-ha-heroth, between Migdal and the sea, opposite Baal-Zephon. You shall camp before it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are bewildered by the land, the wilderness, has closed them in. Now, if Pharaoh was saying this, don't you think some of the Israelites noticed it as well? Don't you think there were a few backseat drivers uh, there with with Moses who could understand that a direct line uh, from Egypt to Palestine was not the way they were going? And it was only justified when Pharaoh arrived that they were in a trap. Verse 4, Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart that he will pursue them, and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people have fled, and the heart of of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, Why have we done this? Why have we let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. Verse 10, And when Pharaoh drew near... The children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, so they were very afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness." Now, we can look at the story and and think how carnal and short-sighted they were. Uh, You know, all they need to do is believe Moses and trust God is leading them and look at the signs and look at the 
the pillar of fire and the, and the, and the cloud, and they'll be okay. But brethren, you know, there's an interesting parallel for our future. We have God's Spirit. Will we trust God any more than they did back there? Remember in Revelation 12, it talks about a time when the church is fleeing from the presence of the serpent. And the serpent spews water out of its mouth like a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood. What does a flood stand for? What does it symbolize in Revelation, in, in, in prophecy? Well, an army. An army. Are there any parallels with the Israelites being boxed into a corner by the Red Sea? And the entire army of, of Pharaoh being wiped out? An amazing connection with Revelation. And perhaps the future. Our future. You know, maybe someday we will look back and have more compassion on the Israelites when we go through some perhaps similar things ourselves. What's the point? God's word is sure. His promises are there. He promises protection in the future to his people, but it will take faith. Will we have faith? Do we have faith now? Are we living our lives now, brethren, by every, by every word of God and by faith and everything we can do? That's a question we all have to answer, and only ourselves alone can answer that. If we really are living by faith, and letting God lead us in His paths and guide our life and direct our life. If we're doing that, we'll have the mindset to follow Him when times get tough. A third issue of faith that we'll face in terms of the place of safety, when to go, where to go, also who to follow. Who to follow. Now, brethren, how, how, is, how does this relate to us? Well, this is where it, I think, really gets interesting. How does God relate information to his church? How is he going to relate information about the place of safety to his church? You know, all the things we've talked about, the time of the, uh, to flee and the place to flee. Is he going to simultaneously give visions to people all at once independently? Well, he could. But is that really most likely? Most of the time he works through people, doesn't he? He works through human leaders. Now, there will be things that will be happening we can all see. As we look in Daniel chapter 12, notice in Daniel, Daniel chapter 12, <clears throat> there are certain signs that are going to be happening leading up to these events and leading up to the church being taken to a place of safety. Daniel chapter 12 and verse... Verse 10, we read, Many shall be purified, made white, and tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. You notice how there's this contrast, again, between the prudent, those who know what's going on, and those who are, are following God's will and are protected, and those who are the foolish, who, those who don't, don't care about understanding the writing on the wall, don't care about heeding the warnings that God is giving to them. Verse 11, And from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away, 
And the abomination that makes desolate set up, there shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days. Blessed is he that waits and comes to the thousand three hundred and five and thirty days. There are some things that will have to happen, the daily sacrifice taken away. Well, in order for that to happen, it has to be started, right? We see the abomination of desolation being set up. There are things that are going to happen that we can all see. But even so, there also will have to be a certain amount of trust in leaders that God is working through. Well, we really believe that God is working through our leaders for the things that we can't figure out ourselves. You know, right now we're living in a time when many, because of events in society, and even because of events in the church over the last few decades, have lost their trust and faith in leadership and have very little trust and faith. And it affects how choices are made and how they respond to government. It affects how or where they attend and where they don't attend. And sometimes, because lightning doesn't always immediately strike when we make wrong choices, we can begin to think that it's no big deal to to follow uh, leadership and government in the church. And we can become cynical and, and jaded. But brethren, think about it. You know, when we are confronted with this challenge called the tribulation, the worst time of trouble ever, and also given the opportunity to go to a place of safety, suddenly who we trust that God is leading, as much as we can trust any human leader who are fallible, who make mistakes, but who we discern that God is working through as we we follow them as they follow Christ, but suddenly it's a pretty big deal who we discern that God is, is, is working through. Well, how can we possibly have the faith and trust in any leader at this type of critical juncture in our life in the future if we're not following and if we're not having faith and trust now? I'm not talking about following blindly or, or not weighing and checking up what our leaders say with what's in this Bible. We look for fruits. We look for if they are doing what the Bible says, if they are teaching the truth, as world events line up, as all these things that we see biblically coming to pass. But you know, in the final analysis, we're going to have to discern where and who, through whom God is working. Every single one of us has to look at our heart. What is my attitude towards government and the leaders who are over me, that God has placed over me. may not seem like a big deal now, but it sure is to be in the future. That brings us to the next possible challenge of our faith, perhaps the biggest in our affluent society, the richest society perhaps that has ever been. And that is, of course, whether to go or not. We might agree that it's the right time. We might agree it's the right place. And we might understand who God is working through to give us direction and and guidance and instruction. But you know, when the time comes, it might just be too hard to let go of our possessions and the things we have. Let's look at Matthew chapter 19 and verse 16. 
familiar scripture, but are we applying it to ourself? Matthew chapter 19 and verse 16. Put yourself in the shoes of this rich young ruler that came to Jesus Christ. Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Interesting question. That's what we're all seeking. We all want to know, what do I need to do? What's required? What do you ask of me that I may be blessed, that I I may have eternal life in your family, that I can have the blessings now that I want of life, that I can be protected in the future? Verse 17 So he said to them, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Interesting statement. He said to him, Which ones? Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 20, the young man said to him, All these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? You know, brethren, we in the church of God are doing all these things. We are commandment keepers. We take this very seriously, doing what God said, keeping His commands. We believe that very strongly. But notice in verse 21, Jesus said to him, If you want to be perfect... If you want to be perfect, go and sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. If you want to be perfected, and perhaps in order to pass the last big trial before his return, be willing to give up everything, to be protected from the worst time of trouble ever. Verse 22. When the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, oftentimes we can look at this and think, well, I would never do that. And thankfully, I don't have great possessions, so it's not a test. We aren't normally the rich and wealthy in our society today. But brethren, in comparison... In comparison to the billions of people who have lived throughout history, and in comparison to billions of people who live throughout this world, brethren, all of us, many of us, most of us who live in the richer nations of this globe really fall into this category. We are rich beyond the wildest imaginations of, of so many people who have lived before us. We live in a world of comfort, undreamed of, even a few generations ago. Christ told this man to be willing to give it all up if you really want to have the blessings that I'm prepared to give to you. He walked away sorrowful. He recognized that he couldn't do it. What about us? Could we have the faith to walk away from everything if necessary? We shouldn't assume it's easy. Because look what Christ said. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's hard 
for a rich man. And brethren, by historical standards and by any standards, we are rich compared to people living all over this earth. We have so much. Verse 24, And again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now notice he didn't say it's impossible, but it's hard. When his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said to them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. By ourselves, we can't really live up to what he's saying. But through his help, we can. We can do anything. You know, some years ago, we had an article in, in the uh, Worldwide Church of God entitled, Will You Be Protected? It was dealing with the question of the place of safety and what it's going to be like and the choices that will have to be made. The author wrote, this is some years ago, How will we feel if that wonderful place of protection we've imagined, comfortably prepared especially for us, turns out to be a desolate wilderness? Will we know in faith that God is with us even though we don't see a pillar of cloud or fire? Or will we say, why did you bring us here? This is an unwatered place with no green thing growing. It is dry and hot in the summer and cold in the winter with rocks the size of baseballs to walk on. Shall we live in holes in the rocks with no furniture or running water and nothing to eat? Doesn't that sound like just like the ancient Israelites? Another article which dealt with the same question. Wherever the place, will it be a place of safety? It will apparently be safe from Satan. But it will not yet be God's kingdom. Those who go will not yet have endured to the end. They will not yet have it made. They will still be able to sin and fall away. To some, the place of safety could prove a place of danger and a place where they finally lose out on salvation. In this place, it will be necessary to live together in peace and harmony 24 hours a day for 1,260 days. Some in God's church can't get along in peace with other members of the church for any length of time now good thing to ponder, isn't it? Some husbands and wives can't get along in peace with their converted spouses for one day, let alone 1,260 days. Obviously, some are going to have to change and overcome a lot to survive such a trial. If Petra is the place, it would certainly not be the kingdom of God on earth. The kingdom of God will come three and a half years later. Petra would not be paradise. It would probably be the greatest trial ever for many of God's people. Something to think about. Something to think about. You know, the Israelites, when they were in the wilderness, they complained because they didn't have cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic. But brethren... Just think about what we're used to. Think about the, the riches that we are used to, the variety that we are used to. Do we have faith? Will we have faith? Do we have the vision now which will enable us to have the faith that pertains to the place of safety in the future? You know, it will be amazing when we see these things happening, to know, as the article said, that only three and a half years later, Christ will set his feet on the Mount of Olives, and he will be here 
and he will set up his government. The thing that we have been waiting for and, and hoping for for decades and years and our whole life in many cases will finally be here. What an incredible thing that will be. What an amazing time that will be. But we need his protection. We need his comfort. We need his encouragement. To do that, it's going to take faith. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24. Jesus Christ tells us to build our house on the rock, not on sand. He says, Therefore, Matthew 7 and verse 24, Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, doesn't just listen, but does them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon the rock. Where is our ultimate place of safety? It's in Jesus Christ, isn't it? He's our protection. It's not in a place. It's in Him. And if He takes us to a place, then that will be His will and His doing. But He is our protection. We're not depending on physical means for protection. And we have to build our house on Him and follow His lead wherever. Verse 25, And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. You know, what flood and rain and winds could be more violent than the coming tribulation and day of the Lord? Jesus Christ has told us ahead of time, so we can prepare, so we can be ready, so we can be the prudent so we don't have to be the foolish, taken by surprise, taken as in a snare. It's talking about having the vision to get in the right house when we see this day coming. Verse 26, And everyone that hears these sayings of mine and does not them, does them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. You know, in the final analysis... All of our possessions and houses and properties and, 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 and life that seems so sturdy, so real, it's going to pass away. We can see the writing on the wall. Our society, our lifestyle is going downhill. And many commentators, even not associated with the church, understand that and can see it and are frightened by it. We don't have to be frightened. But we have to take the encouragement and the warnings that Christ is giving us. Verse 27, The rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house. And it fell and great was the fall of it. Brethren, what an awesome opportunity we have to know the truth about the future and how to be protected in the, in the worst time of trouble in history. But it takes being wise and not foolish. It takes being able to distinguish between what's real and what's transitory and passing. And what we're doing now has everything to do with whether we will be prepared at that time. Having trust in our leadership as we see Christ working in them, as we see the fruits, as we, we, we follow them as they follow Christ, but we have to trust and we have to have faith when we see uh, those things adding up. Not worshiping our own possessions, being willing to give them up and getting along with one another so we can love each other 
as Christ commands us to do. Proverbs 14, verse 26 says, In the fear of the Lord there is strong confidence, and his children will have a place of refuge. His children, God's children, he says, will have a place of refuge. I want that. We all want that. We're going to need that. But we're going to have to have faith in God in order to have that. We looked at Matthew chapter 19 before. Let's, let's turn there one last time as we conclude. What are God's people given for having, having the faith to leave it all behind and follow Him in the place of safety? Well, of course, protection from the worst time of trouble ever. But there's more. Matthew chapter 19 and verse 27. Peter answered and said to him, See, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? Verse 28. So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of His glory, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for My name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. You know, brethren... We are grateful that God is giving us comfort and encouragement when we look into the dark and dangerous times into the future. We must have faith in order to receive that protection in that time. So let's thank God for the wonderful promises He gives us even into and through the dark days ahead. And let's make sure we are exercising faith now so we can be ready.